But before we dive into all things dad, I want to give a big thank you to Pepico for making this episode possible. Have you heard of Pepico LED light therapy mask? If you follow me on Instagram, you definitely would have seen me wearing it and probably heard me speak about it. It is the safe, non-invasive treatment that helps with a lot of skin concerns like pigmentation, acne breakouts, sun damage, you name it, it will help you. Anyone who follows me, like I said on Instagram, knows my skin has been a big priority for me the last few months. Hormonal imbalances and pregnancy and a lack of attention to my skin had me feeling and looking a little bit dull. I'm so excited to say that I'm five weeks into my LED light therapy journey and my skin is glowing. And yep, I'm a toot my own horn because it looks good. I've also fought really hard to get you guys an epic discount code, which is 40% off store-wide. So head to pepico.com to start your LED light therapy journey. Thank me later, guys. Alrighty, let's get into the episode. Welcome back to the United in Motherhood podcast with me, Zoe Young, and today's guest, the incredible Mark from Angry Dad. Mark is someone I have always been in such awe of, and truth be told, I was so excited for this podcast, but with the excitement, I was also so nervous, and I don't know why. Um, I genuinely just think it's because I watched him on YouTube when I was growing up and there's just this, I don't know, familiar, familiar, can't say the word, familiarity, familiar, la, 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 I think you know what I mean. And I genuinely thought we would just giggle our way through this interview, we'd take the piss and that would kind of be it. It was so much more than that. And we went to places I did not think we were going to go. I cried within the first three minutes and you're probably thinking by this stage you cry in everybody episode, but I actually don't. I was so emotional. I fumbled over my words. I found a new respect for someone I already really respected and I don't even know him and that sounds so weird, but I genuinely just think that's the power of social media sometimes is you do know people or at least you know a part of who they are when they're turning up and being their true authentic self. And Mark is 100% himself. He himself is the first to admit that he has made some mistakes, that he, you know, has repeated history, I guess you'd somewhat say. And you're gonna hear all about this, so I don't wanna get too much into it now because I sometimes feel like I give away the best bits of what people say. And I can't, I actually can't vote, like vote, voice, vote. <laughs> I actually can't voice the way he says some of the things that you're about to hear. I do want to put a trigger warning in that we do get to some really dark places. Um, we do come out the other side or he does come out the other side, I should say, but we do touch on topics of mental health, suicide. Um, so I really do just want to warn you that if this is triggering for you, please click off now. Um, and I've left some resources down below. I just also want to say before we get into it that if you are struggling or someone you know is struggling, putting your hand up and asking for help isn't a sign of weakness. It's actually the ultimate sign of strength. So please reach out, get help because you deserve it. Alrighty guys, let's get into the episode. You know, and, and I've said it all my life, um, before any of this angry dad shit, whatever, what you see is what you get, right? And if you like it, great. If you don't like it, I actually don't give a shit. And that's not through arrogance. That's just me respecting people's opinions. But I like everyone. 
unless they give me a reason not to like them, right? And then I go hard and I can cut people off that I've known for a long, long time if they cross the line. I'm not saying I'm perfect because I would expect that if I did some shit that I know people have done to me that resulted in me cutting them off, that I'd expect people to cut me off too. But the difference is I wouldn't do it. And, you know, I had that instilled in me from when... And my mum and dad, like, country people lived in commission house, had basically nothing, but we had everything we wanted, right? Nothing material. So for me, that was a really good grounding. Yeah. You know? And I, I left home at 16 anyway, so I missed a lot of the, the growing up anyway. But... I experienced enough. And mum and dad were far from perfect, let me let me tell you that. But, again, you know, you, you, you hope some of that actually shapes you as a person. I, I probably repeated history a little bit in some respects as far as some of mum and dad's not-so-good traits, but I, I respect the fact that they're human and everyone makes mistakes and they weren't perfect parents, but who is? And yeah. the ones that tell you that they are, they're bullshit artists anyway. <laughs> I feel like becoming a parent, you just gain so much more respect for your parents because we're learning as our kids are learning and we fuck up because we've never done it before. So how are we expected to, you know, sometimes I look back and how I've been with my kids and I'm like, oh, geez, I wish I handled that situation differently. But at the time, I was just doing the best I could, right? My speech uh, graveside when mum passed recently, um, was about, and I get really emotional when I talk about this, but was about, she used to cry every time, every time I left when I was young and I would go home. She'd cry and I would say, oh, for Christ's sakes, mum, grow up, like forget about it. <laughs> yeah. And when she was dying on her, I sat with her for five days. I actually talked about it because I know that feeling now as a parent when your kids leave or things happen, whatever, and I apologised to her. And I said to her, I'm so sorry because, again, I get really emotional about this, but, you know, I should have cut her some slack and I fucking didn't. And she, she didn't hate me for that, but I, 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 I apologise. I was manly enough to apologise to her because when something happens with my kids or when they leave or, you know, whatever, I know the pain that she went through all that time and I was just probably rude and arrogant to her. And, I, I, again, at graveside, I... I I just repeated what I said to her as we lowered her into the ground and, and I, I said, thank you for forgiving me. Yeah. Oh, my goodness, you're making me cry already and we're like two minutes into this. but Well, it's a parent thing, isn't it? Like you change when you become parents and initially maybe not so much, but as you get older, you do because your mind just works in different ways. It, it, it actually does. And I didn't think about being old or death or shit until I, probably three years ago, four years ago. Before that, I was invincible. Yeah. You know, I'd, I'd drink piss with the boys. I'd ring me and say, come here, come there, whatever. And I'd go, now, I, if I have three drinks, I'm knackered. Yeah. And it's just an eighteen. And then you start reflecting and reminiscing and, and all this sort of shit. And I think it's just that cycle of life. It just happens, happens to everyone. Some at some points, others maybe a bit older, whatever. I don't know. But oh, it makes you just sort of sit back and reflect sometimes. Yeah. Can I ask why you left home at 16? Like, can you talk um, about your Yeah, that, that was purely, you know, the whole footy dream thing. You know, Collingwood had watched me for a couple of years and they uh, just wanted to get me down here as quick as I could. And uh, they wanted me a little bit earlier, but until I had a um, steady job, I finished Form 5 um, and applied to get a job with Telstra and I got it. So that was a tick as far as mum and dad are concerned. You know, that's a... Um, 
a decent job, you know, should give you a career, whatever. So we'll actually allow you to go. And I did at that age and I never went home. And, you know, the whole footy thing's a, a, a whole different story. Um, but that's why I left home so early. And I cried every day. Let me tell you, I cried every day getting up at 6 o'clock, walking to a train station, catching a train to the city. I'd been to Melbourne twice before this, only twice. Where did you grow up? I grew up in Hamilton in Western Victoria. Yeah, right. And I would say, hang on, if I was home and I needed to get to work by 7.30, I could get up at 7 o'clock, have a shower, have something to eat and be at work 7.30. I don't have to be at work till 8.30 and I'm getting up at 6 o'clock, walking to a train station, train into the city, wait for another train, train out of the city and then walk to the, the Taronga Telstra Training School. And, and then you'd go to footy after it, right, three nights a week. And you wouldn't get home to 9, 9.30. And then that cycle would start again. And I'd lay in bed and I, I would just cry saying, I don't know, why am I doing this? Yeah. You know, I miss my family. Why am I doing it? But, you know, you grow some balls. And at the end of the day, I was, and Dad said to me, and he wrote me a letter, and can you, God bless, I found the letter in cleaning up through all mum stuff. And he, he said in it that we will never, ever think anything less of you. If, and I remember reading it back at the time. This would have been 1986. We will never think anything less of you if you want to come home. We're a phone call away. It's your dream. Try it. Persevere for a bit and just see if you can see it through. But you can always come home. Oh, what a and beautiful you know, plan. No, all handwritten. I've got it. I've kept it. Um, it's just, yeah, the beautiful things about my parents that I remember. They seem really loving, which I think they've passed on clearly to you. Well, Dad was Dutch, actually, so he was a very stubborn, um, especially my Opa especially, but Dad was the Dutch, so that sort of had that stubborn sort of Dutch trait about him, but Mum was the disciplinarian, and she was, you know, she'd come from a, a pretty a pretty sort of, you know, like 13, 13, 13 kids in the family, let's just say, commission house, you try squeezing 13 kids into a house, right, and a couple had grown up and gone, so it wasn't always 13 at one time, but... They never had anything. My nana and pop and pop left, you know, um, pretty early in the piece. And so mum, mum did it bloody tough. So And, again, I, I, I struggled with that early on in terms of understanding how you could discipline a kid like that. She belted the shit out of us, right? Let's not kid ourselves. Um, but it all makes sense when you sit down as an adult and you have mature conversations with your parents and you understand, you know, why people are like they are. And that's how you, you try and learn yourself and, and and don't make the same mistakes twice. But I, you know, I, I told her before she died that all of that was something that was absolutely forgiven. It was never something that, you know, meant that I held a grudge and, and, or anything like that because she turned out a fucking pretty good person, If I, considering is, is how I would describe it. Yeah, and you know what? She would have left this world, and I know it was only recently, so I'm incredibly sorry for your loss, but she would have left this world so proud of you and the family you've created. And, like, I know I'm no one, but I watch you all on social media, and you can feel the unity and the love and just between all of you, and it's really cool to see from an outsider looking in and to know that she left that behind. Like, that's a pretty cool legacy to leave with her family. It it certainly made her day you know, this all happened really quick. I got a phone call in December, early first week, second week, first week of December, and the doctor said, I've got some bad news for you. Because Sharon had told mum, just go and get a check. We'd been up there and took her out for lunch and 
she was okay, but she's just a little bit weak and, and chanted me, eating, whatever. Maybe just go and see the doctor again, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, cut a long story short, the doctor rang, so I've got some bad news. Um, your mum's got cancer, and then we found a four-centimetre sort of um, lump on her lungs, but unfortunately it's in her. There's spots in her liver and her spine as well, and, and what, she didn't want treatment, right? It's like Dad didn't five years earlier with his his own sort of dialysis issues and all this stuff. But I said to them, so what does it mean? And they said, well, it's really hard to tell because she doesn't want to have treatment. That treatment means we can get in and try and understand more, whatever, but it's not good regardless. But I said, from history, these people, similar people, but anyway, eventually they said to me, look, it's probably six to 12 months, but she seems pretty good now. So probably closer to 12 months, but they said, if the, the spine cancer gets aggressive, that's a different story. Well, she died in seven weeks. Jesus. And and that that's that's what got her in the end. But you know, I, I pretty much spent five and a bit weeks of that those seven weeks with her next to her bed, and she was, you know what, the amazing thing was she was she was fine right up until two days before she died. Almost, she wouldn't have even known she was sick, and then she just went downhill. But. She looked for her to get to see Bo and 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 Chloe and Mitch brought Artie to Hamilton to see her as well. Just yeah. you know, just made her just made her her life. And you know, she she had no regrets and she just wanted to go and see Dad and God bless her. You know what? This is this is this is will this will remain with me forever. Sharon was patting her face and combing her hair, her hair and singing "You Are My Sunshine" to her. Whether she sung to all our kids and. She just said to Sharon, can you make me beautiful? Because I want to make sure that Johnny will, will have me back. Can you believe that? Bless her. And, and, and Sharon was doing combing hair and she just closed her eyes and passed away. My goodness. I will be forever indebted to Sharon for that because do you know how hard, for me to watch was hard enough, but for Sharon to do that, like she's just, just so strong and brave. It was incredible. What a woman. And they clearly had a beautiful relationship, your mum and Sharon. They did. And, you know, it was way stronger towards the end. You know, I think, you know, early on, you know, her her, her little boy um, has found a girl now when his attention's, you know, all directed at her. Mum, mum struggled and, and they, they didn't have a perfect relationship. But the beautiful thing about it all is, you know, as testing as the times were, like every family, you, you get, you just get through it, and you accept the fact that that's just part of a, a roadmap. It's never a, a linear thing, you know. There's always ups and downs. But the last 10, 15 years, they they had an amazing relationship. Sharon would ring Mum every day when she would walk, because uh, Sharon does every day. She would ring Mum, and 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 they would chat, and they had they had an amazing relationship at, at the end, and. You know, it's for her to do that is incredible. You can feel the love you have for your wife and your mother through this screen looking at you. It's really, it's really. You know, the thing is, and I say this to to everyone, um, we're no different to every family, all right? We love and we hate, we yell and we scream, and we have moments when you know there's abusive messages in our family group, what, like every family, <laughs> right? But you know, at the what, what there's one thing that's a given, and that is. We have each other's back regardless of what the situation is. And, you know, I don't need to go into the whole thing as far as Mitchell's concerned, but Mitchell's pretty much 
you know, I think he's told everyone as far as his own issues, you know, December 2019. So, you know, if it sticks in your brain, you know that it must have been uh, a decent event. And Mitch, Mitch has brought himself back from probably the worst place you will have ever, ever seen. And that was testing and trying for the whole family, but everyone supported him. And look at him now. He is just flourishing. And it's just, we're, as parents, you couldn't be prouder. It's as simple as that. Yeah, I think you said it perfectly. Every family's got their shit, right? And you ride the roller coaster together. And even just what you said then about Mitch falling to a low, like I can think of so many lows. And my family are a super tight unit. I'm one of four kids. My parents had me really young, similar to, you know, you guys. They're my, as much as they are my parents, they're my best mates too. And it's been a, a roller coaster and I'm sure it will continue to be forever and ever, but you wouldn't change it for the world, I don't think. No, again, it shapes character. You know, you that's how you learn. Yeah. It's actually how you learn. Um, it's as simple as that. There's no there's no book that's been written to show you how to deal with every situation in life. It's that's that's how you learn. Sharon, Sharon and I, we like we've we've been married thirty something, thirty one years. Wow. And we we could have separated ten times in that time, but it, because of the kids, you work through the issues regardless of how big or how small they are. Right, and and you know the thing is, not everyone's meant to stay together forever. And I don't care if they do or they don't. But personally, we looked at different situations and scenarios when, you know, we were having challenges, and said, at the end of the day, we have to think not selfishly about us in these. In, we've got three kids. Yeah. So how does the shit impact kids? Blah blah blah. And you know, and for us, it worked. Right. But it's but far from perfect. But. Who's marriage is, you know? No. I still remember to this day my parents always say to me, because, again, my parents have been married 30 30 years this year, I think. They're always a year ahead of me. And um, my dad always said to me, he's like, when I got married, he said, the hardest thing you'll ever do is marriage, but it'll be the best thing ever. And he said, just maintain your friendship as much as you can throughout because at the end of the day the kids are going to leave and – you got to be mates, and I was and like, "That's the transition we're sort of going through now." Like Hannah's hung on a little bit, so we had Dylan leave early with his footy sort of opportunity, and and that didn't work out. He'd come home, um, you know, then he got partner and moved out, uh, got the couple of kids now, and and then same <laughs> with Mitchell, and and Hannah's been here, and then said she would never leave Melbourne, but has decided that you know there was nothing holding her back here. She saw how much. We enjoyed Queensland when we are up there this year. And while we are up there, actually messaged Sharon and said, I've actually started searching for apartments. I've decided I'm going to go. And and now she's up there and she just is absolutely loving life. And that's what you want for your kids, right? Like you just want them to be happy. Of course. I mean, like <laughs> people, and I'm guilty of this, and, you know, you know how much of people's lives – are wasted through negative shit and being down and sad. And, and you know, I can say that because I spent 25 fucking years managing mental health that no one even knew about other than Sharon, right? No one – so I, I, I'm actually qualified to say that. So people can't rip me and say, you wouldn't fucking know. you. Yes, I know. Let me fucking tell you I know. I, I look back on my life and I say – I fucking wasted so much of it. It's ridiculous. And and now it's about trying to change that and make 
up for it in some way, shape or form. And that's my advice to people as far as, you know, where, where they're actually feeling that in, they're in the same predicament. Speak up, get help. Mental health-wise, speak up, get help, talk about it because you're wasting your life. You're yeah. actually wasting your life and you only get one crack at it. And, and all of these things now, again, I'm qualified to speak about that on all those fronts now. Mental health, fucking death, it stared me in the face four months ago. Yeah. And, and like, there's, I've got so many strong messages for people out of that. And it's not an opinion, right? This is experience, you know, because yeah. pe- people can look at you and go, oh, yeah, you've got an opinion and, you know, keep it to yourself or whatever. No, this isn't, this isn't an opinion. This is speaking from experience. Yeah, this so, is. So, the- I on board. I don't care if you do or you don't, but yeah. let me no. tell you. It's so true because lived experience is people can study things for years and years and years and never actually walk in the shoes of the people that they're tending to, right? Of course. And, she, it, like, sitting down with my sister psychologist, she will say, she says, I don't know. I've studied it and I know what could work, but you are living and breathing it and this is your life. And I feel like you touched on mental health. I, I'm going to get into that in a second with you, but – you do know you have walked in those shoes for a fucking long time and you are qualified to give advice and you are qualified to share your story. And out of that, people will take whatever they want from it and hopefully it becomes a part of their survival guide and they do things differently. That's right. That's exactly. And that's, and you know, that's a, there's the old cliche that if I help one person, then, you know, I've made a difference. And that's true. I want to help more than one person. And, you know, half my life is spent, talking to people, guiding, assisting, providing advice. And I'm not qualified formally for any of that, but from a life experience perspective, I'm fucking overqualified. And that's probably something, you know, that's not necessarily you should be proud of, but it is what it is. Mm -hmm. And those experiences um, have, have, have meant that I'm still here. Yeah. And can we get into your, you've touched on mental health. Can we talk about those 25 years, what a little bit of what you went, through. I, I was a recluse, basically. I would do the bare minimum. I, I, I look at it this way, and, and I, uh, with my doco, it was the first time I pulled my pants down and talked about that. Mm-hmm. Um, pretty much I lived, the way I would describe it, you know, in the fullness of time when you sit back and look back, is I pretty much I, I pretty much lived two lives. And I say that because I had a professional life and I had a personal life. And, you know, the professional life was all about you know, that need to earn money to provide, right? And that was about food on the table for kids and we always wanted to send our kids to private school, this, that and the other. So it was almost like I got in the car in the morning and put a, um, a professional life hat on and did my best to deal with my issues um, with the professional hat on. But just festering away constantly is, you know, that whole personal life and struggle and challenge and you get home and almost take the hat off and just become a miserable, sad, depressed prick. And uh, Sharon would take the kids. I I would never miss kids' sport, but I would go there often just feeling like shit, wouldn't talk to people, stand over the other side, whatever. But the minute footy or whatever it was was finished, I'd go home and I'd pretty much lay under a blanket in the back room and I did that for years and years and years. And if it wasn't for professional help, medication, all this sort of shit, well, I wouldn't be here. And and I spoke openly about it in my doc and, 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 you know, there's no point beating around the bush, but if you're laying in your car with the hose connected inside the car with a photo of your kids laying on your chest and then all of a sudden a penny drops, I've already been given a fucking second chance. Oh, my God. 
Well, I'm so sorry you've been through that. That's awful. And, you know, and that was, you know, it's been so hard to deal with. But I've learnt, and it doesn't leave you. It doesn't leave you, but you actually learn and understand the triggers, right? And it's then those triggers about, okay, putting into practice what you need to do right here, right now. And sometimes it's a me fix, a quick fix. Other times it will linger. And, you know, the kids aren't home anymore, but they knew and understood, um, you know, when I was in different moods, they knew nothing about the real issue until the doco come out. It doesn't leave you, and but you learn to deal with it. And and you, you can get there, you can get through it. And, again, my advice to people is that's fact, right? And you, you'll need a, a different – everyone will take a different course, right, as far as medication, professional help, short-term, medium-term, long-term, but it doesn't matter. It proves that life can be good again. Yeah. Well, you're living proof, right? I try as best I can every day. And, and you know – Probably my, my biggest, and Mitchell says this to me all the time, Dad, it's about investing in yourself, Dad. I'm always investing in everyone else, trying to make everyone else happy. Um, and I often don't, well, I, I never have time for myself. And that's not me sitting here feeling sorry for myself. It's just, it's just my nature. It's just what I stand for. I feel like you're embedded with when other people are happy, you feel genuine happiness as well. 100%. And any contribution I can make, to make people smile and be happy, I'll do it. Oh, That's my I, legacy. It's my, yeah. I, 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 Zoe, it's my legacy and I, I've made that commitment and I say it openly that if I leave this planet knowing that at my expense I have helped people laugh and smile and get through a day and be happy, then, then I'm happy. Oh, you have. And you said before about helping one person, like that old school saying is, I know for a fact you've helped my sister because when we were teenagers – we used to giggle so hard at Angry Dad. We'd watch them over and over and over and over. And I remember her days where she just wouldn't get out of bed and we'd sit in like sit in bed and watch Angry Dad and she would laugh so fucking hard. And it is. It's a legacy. It's something we still talk about. My question to you is, like, with the whole Angry Dad, I guess it's become, like, the brand of who you guys, how you started and, like, where it all began. Did you know when that was all happening what it would be? become like no, no. no it was just it must it was I, don't, I, I mean you look back on it and you go it just started from dylan actually doing a few snapchats to get a reaction from me because i am short-tempered right I, I actually don't suffer fools and i'm short-tempered <laughs> and when kids are living with you and doing it constantly well you know you you, you your whole temper and your, your your week so to speak becomes even less right so i just it would annoy the shit out of me and then his Collingwood mates just said to him, keep stirring up your old man, he's a pisser, right? And that's how it started. And was it because it was like early days with all that and no one had done pranks? I don't know. We, we've never – they've never taken the time to sit back and, and, and look at it and reflect because these days all of these things are done for commercial outcomes, right? Yeah. They didn't do it for commercial outcomes. They did it because it, it actually – served a purpose and it made people laugh and it just so happened that it just then gathered some momentum and got some followers and oh, yeah yes okay. it's helped them in terms of their life where they're at but Dylan, you know people think you make a fortune from it they've never monetized any of the youtube or the or the facebook um because it's it's got swearing in it so you can't anyway they've yeah. actually now just pretty much given away the page to a company in in the US who are just running stupid viral ads on it. 
Like it's just, it served its purpose. They don't live at home. That whole opportunistic scenario. Because I bet you, if your dad was sitting on the couch and you changed the channel just when he's about to watch the news, I bet you he'd react as well and go, "What the?" Because it's relatable. Every every dad does it. If I if I was to look at it and try and understand it, the only reason it clearly got some traction is because it's so relatable. Because every single dad is yeah. like me. That Mitchell and Dylan clearly just struck a chord and it's probably timing related, whatever. I don't even know, but that is why. Every dad's the same. Yeah, no, it's cool. And I guess another question for you is with your the way you parent, have you always has friendship always been a part of that style with you? Uh, um I've always wanted my kids to like me, but I would not do what they wanted me to do just to make them like me, if you know what I mean. I, I was very, very hard as a parent. But for me, what I think it did was it actually gained res- – I, re- I gained respect from the kids out of all that. Yeah. Um, I interrupt today's episode to say a big thank you to Pepico for giving me all the skin confidence and for sponsoring today's episode. As I said at the beginning, Pepico LED Light Therapy Mask is a safe, non-invasive treatment that helps you with any of your skin concerns. Each light helps with different issues. The blue light helps with acne bacteria and has anti-inflammatory effects. The yellow light helps with pigmentation and sun damage, and the red light helps with the production of collagen and revitalize the appearance of skin that shows the signs of aging, which nobody wants. I'm so excited to say that I'm five weeks into my LED light therapy journey and my skin is glowing. I also fought really hard to get you guys a fab discount code, which is 40% off store-wide, and that is an epic discount code. So head to pepico.com to start your light therapy journey. And like I said at the start, Thank me later because you will be. Alrighty, let's get back into the episode. You ask him. I was I was the one that said no to everything and had high expectations and was a disciplinarian, right? Mum was always Sharon was a softy, right? Yeah. But we just always had a great relationship. Just and again, I think it's born out of respect. So they hated me at times and they still do. Don't get me wrong, <laughs> right? But I, I'll look back on. And I can't drink anymore. I'm too old and I just don't, I never feel well when I drink. But I can tell you that that sort of, even even before all the angry dad shit, right, that sort of early 40s for me through till, say, 50. So for that 10-year period of which there was some crossover with the angry dad stuff, if the, the boys would never, ever, ever hesitate saying, Dad, do you want to come over to be with my mates or whatever, they'd be at a pub in the city and say, Dad, I'm here with, you know, whoever come in and have a beer. And for me, if your kids do that, you've done something right. Oh, yeah. You know, because typically they want to go, get out, get out, we want nothing to do with you, you know, piss off, you're annoying. So, you know, that's that's always been something that sat really well with me. Often kids are embarrassed when their parents are around. Our kids have never been embarrassed with us being around. I'm going to sound like an idiot here. Our kids have never had secrets when it comes to us right of course they've had secrets right but my point is if they're ever at the crossroads and needed to some advice on turning left or turning right or had a situation that needed um resolving they would not hesitate to talk to us call us to get you know us involved to help right i'm sure there's instances where they haven't right but clearly in those predicaments they felt that they could manage it without us, right? So my point there is 
if it was the if they needed to to, to revert back to to get the, the most trusted support advice and help they, they wouldn't hesitate and if, even if that's a phone call at three o'clock in the hour because someone's stuck somewhere and there's a situation or a predicament they yeah. would ring and they wouldn't hesitate yeah right that's that's pretty cool I love that and you're now grandparents to four boys four boys has that changed you becoming a grandparent Oh, yeah, I'm soft as shit now, to be honest. <laughs> you know, I just look forward and, and hopefully I'll live long enough to do this, but yeah. we love babysitting and I just want the kids to be old enough so they can come here, I can fill them full of Fanta and jelly beans and then send them home. They don't sleep for three days. And then Dylan and Mitchell and ultimately Hannah at some point, I suppose, will can deal with the kids and uh, the issues associated with a um, high sugar level episode. <laughs> <laughs> Does it make it hard for you having the kids in separate states? Does it make you want to, I don't know, move? Yeah, we are. We're moving. Well, Sharon's already moved. I you were moving, but Dylan is still in Melbourne, right? Dylan's still here. Dylan's still here, but Dylan's seriously considering, you know, his options as well, right? It's all yeah. around, you know, work opportunities and this, that and the other. And it will be hard, right? And, and you know, again, he's, a, he's an example. And Dylan, see shit if he doesn't like me saying this anyway. But when it was all sort of formal and official that we made that decision, et cetera, Dylan was really upset about it. He was angry, but he was upset. But we got that because, you know, it would mean that it, it would mean that we don't get to see Bo and Indy and Huddy as much as we would have otherwise while we were here. But in saying that, they live in Eltham. So we don't see him that often anyway because it's just how it is, yeah. right? So that's, that, that is hard and it will be hard, but... You know, we've decided that this next chapter, because we don't know how long we've got left in this chapter, it could be a year, it could be 30, is about Sharon and I. And, you know, we will commit and do whatever we need to to make sure that we share ourselves between, you know, Dylan, Mitchell and Hannah, if, if Dylan happens to still be here. That's our commitment to them because it doesn't mean that we love one more or, or less than the other. Yeah, 100%. 100%. And, you know, we, we, we said, so we, we're in Gold Coast. You know, you've got a, a place to come for a holiday. It's just airfares and you can come up and just imagine how much fun that, that will be. So Maybe that's, we just send the kids up. <laughs> they can have yeah, a we'll send, we'll, yes, we'll send the kids up at 100%. You know, that just, that's Sharon, the, the kids are, are Sharon's world and, and clearly mine as well, so. How old are your grandkids? You've got uh, both, both two. Artie's one, and Indy, uh, April, May, June, July. Indy's about five months. Oh, Artie, of course, who's oh God, what's Artie now? Eleven. Wow, but you've so got three Artie's little a... tiny ones. Yeah, oh, Indy, he's just the the happiest little baby, and it's it's really weird to be honest because we haven't spent a lot of time with him purely because of COVID. Um, you know, we're in Queensland for six and a bit weeks after my op um, and that wasn't long after he was born and then sort of get back and Sharon pretty much turned around and went straight back to Queensland and we've been in in, in and out of lockdown. So probably only seen him, in all honesty, five times. Sucks. Fuck you, COVID. But, you know, the thing is there's so many more worse off, right, That's and yeah. that's the way I try to look at it. But he's just a beautiful, happy little kid. They had some issues with him sleeping initially, and I think, you know, he has a bit of reflux and trying to get the formulas right. But the yeah. minute he got all that right, he just smiles and he sleeps and he laughs and he plays and he's happy. He's just a beautiful little kid. 
So sweet. So cute. And you just said your operation. So can you talk us through how you were diagnosed? It was prostate cancer, wasn't it? Uh, yeah. How did, like, how did you, did you know? Did you check yourself? Was it Sharon? Uh, I had I, every, every, uh, Sharon? Yeah. You Christ, stop trying to cheer me up. <laughs> <laughs> I have heard that a prostate massage can actually help. Looking back, I'm, I'm getting told all this stuff. It can potentially help prevent cancer, but I could have, I could have begged her for 25 years and she wouldn't have really done that. <laughs> That's a classic. <laughs> no, you look, now. I, I, I have a test every year, normally about Feb, March. Just, I'm just so happened that, that that's just when I did. And I've been sort of like since about 2013, I think, looking back at all the records. So, you know, early 40s. And last year, because of COVID, um, and I started a new job yeah. in Feb, um, I didn't have the test. And I started my job and went to America for two and a half weeks, got back. I had my doco. That was launched and we went straight into COVID. And then the whole of last year went by, nothing. I, I was, you know, normal, just just fatter, greyer hair and, you know, just uglier by the minute. But <laughs> I, I then got to December with mum and, and that was a really, really stressful time. And so the whole time I'm with mum nursing her um, with cancer and feeling like shit, I said to Sharon after, I need to go and just have my normal checkup and test. I, I feel stressed and... I just want to, you know, and I, and, I, and I would do that to be checking cholesterol and sugar more than anything just because of, you know, weight and fucking all that. But so I had that and I, I was two and a half weeks and Dylan and I were in the car on the way to, and I said, to, this is how ironic this. I said to Sharon the day before, well, clearly my results were fine because I haven't heard from the doctor. I said, so that's a positive. Next night, Dylan and I were driving to um, the premiere um, at, Hoyts for Taken, actually. Was it Taken? Went to one of the movies. Um, we had the, the Gold Class Cinema to ourselves, um, working with Universal just to promote it. And on the way there, my doctor rang. As soon as I answered, I knew it was him, and I went, oh, okay, I haven't heard from you. I thought everything was okay. What was it, sugar or cholesterol? And he said, Mark, don't worry about your sugar and cholesterol. You need to come and see me tomorrow, your prostate is not good so my night was destroyed clearly and and i just was just gobsmacked and of course i knew nothing until the next day and pretty much i went to see him and my psa was 6.3 and and people have had higher psa's i will say that but still from zero to 6.3 is not good and i it was fortunate because there was a urologist that practices out of his um um, premises was actually there when I went to see him. So he said, I think I will ring him and see if he can see you today while he's here. And cut a long story short, um, he did the old finger up the clacker and said, mate, there is something there that shouldn't be there. Your right-hand side is abnormal and really lumpy and so that just pretty much he said but don't panic don't panic he said blah blah so that just led to an MRI which confirmed it um a biopsy to test the severity and it was aggressive and a Gleason 7 to 9 which not you just you just don't want 
And then I had a PET scan to see if the cancer had spread. At that point, based on the PET scan's capability, which is really, really good, but they're they're not perfect, they believed it hadn't spread past the organ. All that happened in three weeks. So I went from that first pretty much finger up my backside to having the prostate out in three weeks, which is almost unheard of, but... Was this all while you were dealing with the loss of your mum as well? Yeah, exactly, yeah. And I just prayed and I was so happy that mum never got to know this because she needed to go and just rest herself and and, and just be back with dad. But my surgeon probably thinks that I'm a a rude, arrogant pig, but I just wouldn't accept when the steps in the process were around, look, we'll, we'll get an MRI in the next few weeks and then, well, no, tomorrow. I don't know if it's possible tomorrow. Make it happen tomorrow. And I pretty much was, again, I, I, prob- I was prob- no doubt arrogant and we, we get on well and he's a good fella and, and this, but, you know, w- when it was diagnosed as the Gleason 7-9 aggressive, he said, so we need to have a PET scan in the next few weeks because they're hard to get. No, I want a PET scan tomorrow. You won't get one tomorrow. That was a Thursday. I got one on the Tuesday. So waiting weeks turned into a few days. Mentally, you have to deal with that. And then as soon as the PET scan was done, you know, it was about let's, if you agree, you want to take the, the prostate out, which is this suggested course of action because it's aggressive and all that. And I said, he said, so in the next, you know, few weeks, month or whatever, and I go, hang on, you can't sit there and tell me I've got aggressive prostate cancer and, and we're going to wait a week or two weeks or whatever. And he said, it doesn't work like that as far as aggressive. And so I don't care if it's a 0.1% chance that mine potentially can work like that. I don't want an aggressive cancer in my body for one second longer than it needs to be. So, so again, to his credit, this was the Thursday. He come in the following Tuesday. He booked me the following Tuesday. He's booked out for months. He yeah. come in the following Tuesday at 4.30, he'd already operated all morning and then pra- did some practice in the afternoon, come in at 4.30 and, and, and did me specifically. Wow. And what, so when they take it out, it gets tested and whatnot, but what, yep. what, what so, so do the, you do? The patho- so I had robotic, right? So you pretty much get eight holes in your stomach. Not, not, not big holes, but um, I don't care, I'm not too proud. Oh, shit. So you get one big... <laughs> You get one big cut. Oh, wow. And then there's cuts, little ones across your body. Yeah. That's how they That's how they enter. And they and take then, it out that way. Yeah, take it out through that cut in your belly button. That's, that's less intrusive than the old way. So the pathology, again, confirmed that it hadn't spread beyond the organ to the best of their ability. No one knows microscopically, right, and that's a yeah. separate discussion, but... Um, so that was positive. And then it's really now about, well, recovery. You know, you, you, the recovery's been really mentally hard. And I'm talking to a number of people now, um, helping them through. One guy's just been through it last Monday, and, and I've, I've got numerous conversations helping people right now because I, I, I pretty much had a guy I've never met. His name's George. I did a post about it the other day just because I, I felt I needed to, given this world we're living in that's crazy and and, and, and divisive and so much hate, where this guy I've never met, he's 71, was introduced to me by an old client, and we talk and we message from the day I knew about it right through till even now about 
his experiences and all of that has just helped me massively with dealing with all this shit. And, and I've had five people that pretty much I've annoyed the shit out of this whole time that have been through it, that have just been my rocks basically. Mm-hmm. Without them, I, I just don't know how I would have coped. The, the recovery is not great. Yeah. It's not great. And, you know, we're talking about, you know, women when they have babies leave their dignity, dignity at the door clearly, right? You, you give them birth to kids. It's the same with blokes with prostate cancer, right? It's just, it's not fun. Post-op stuff, you know, you got catheters, and it's all to do with the only bit on a male body that a male thinks about and treasures, and the recovery is not fun, you know. It's not fun. And and, and it, it's a it's potentially a long road on, on several fronts. I, I have been super, super lucky with... Yeah. You know, one of the recovery elements is, of course, you know, leakage and all that. I've had none, and my surgeon actually can't believe it. But, you know, then on the other front, in terms of the other main bit as to why that little thing hangs off the front of you, um, I've got – I'm four and a bit months after the op, and I've got a lot of work to do as far as that's concerned. But it's a 12-, 18-month journey. Sharon's actually happy. She Sharon's actually happy. She's stoked. <laughs> she just goes, oh, it's all right. I'll, you know, I'll support you for that whole time. And then she goes, <laughs> <laughs> But it is, it's one of those things I think people probably don't realise. You don't just get your prostate out and you, you, you're good to go, right? Like you're having, yeah. you're, the recovery, like you said, it seems invasive and it's your sexual organ and being a sexual person. Right. That would just – it would be so hard. And so uh, – Mentally and physically, but probably mainly mentally because I, I think I've done okay physically. Mentally, I think I'm just lucky that I've struggled and learned and dealt with mental issues all my life or and it's just made it a little bit easier. But it has its moments. Well, again, I've been here 12 weeks uh, yesterday on my own um, – while Sharon, unfortunately, hasn't been able to get back and forth from Gold Coast. So let me just say that it's probably, there's not a day I haven't cried. There's not one day. And I'm a bloke, and most blokes probably wouldn't say that. I don't give a flying fuck. I'm, I'm happy to say. I, you know, last Thursday, I cried tears of joy because I got my second lot of results that were zero. I saw that on Instagram. That nearly made me cry. <laughs> It's 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 tough. It's challenging, and people say, "Look, it's great to see you, you know, happy and smiling, and you 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 you're cured from cancer." And I look, I love all of that support and all that. You're never cured from it, and right, it's not about dwelling on it because the results are super positive at the moment. We're just two tests in. That unfortunately, that C word is about a journey, and and we're talking five to seven years. And and if if you plot it on a graph. And over time, it's zero and it goes like that. That's what I want. And I'm being positive and upbeat that that's what I'm going to get. But you've got to just, you know, you, you just got to be a realist. Yeah. Well, I'm praying to the universe or whatever the fuck is out there that you, you know, you continue on that zero journey. And are they blo- is it blood tests? Yeah, blood tests. And so this is another message, right? And this isn't about, you know, um, lecturing people, but... The cold, hard reality is if you're a bloke 
and you're over 45, they say 50. I don't give a fuck. It's not 50. I don't care if you're 40, do it. If it's in your history, do it at 40. It's a simple blood test. Go and do it every year. Mm-hmm. It takes two minutes and it can save your life because early detection, if there, ever, if there is such a cancer, right, and don't worry, I have read and I have read and I have read up on all this shit. If there is a cancer that you'd want to get, then it's prostate with early detection. Yeah. That, that's just a, a, a fact. And more and more young people are getting diagnosed with it. It's scary. It's just crazy the age of some of the people that I, I'm talking to. Because no symptoms, Zoe, I had no symptoms, none. Prostate's in between, pretty much in between. It's plumbed into your body between your bladder and the and the, the top of where your, your dick is internally, basically, is the only way to describe really? it. But, but it's plumbed in, right? So your bladder sits here, your prostate's here, and then it joins where your bolfella comes out. So your urethra is is goes right through the middle of the prostate. So when they cut it and pull it out, you know, the, this is the other issue. They've got to pull the urethra back and stitch it to the bladder. So pretty much they can't pull your bladder down. They pull your – so – Out. So you fully re- – like you fully had major surgery recovering from – Four hours, 11 minutes. Oh, my God. Four hours of surgery. It's massive surgery and it's – like it's not intrusive in terms of how they enter you and all that, but they're, they're in you – they're in the – the, the, the core of your stomach, pulling shit around and poking it. And it's, it's, it's huge trauma on your body. And I'm not saying that to, to be alarmist or whatever. It's just a fact. I mean, no surgery is good surgery, right? No. But getting into your prostate through there, that's, it's traumatic. How were you leading? Were you nervous get going into the operation? I was shitting myself. Yeah. And, you know, you know, do you know, one of the memories I'll have, this is just where sometimes life's journeys, right? I pulled up at Epworth at Box Hill and I'm sitting there because it was a special, it was organised just for me, right? Mm-hmm. And I was in the waiting room and this old fella walks in and we didn't talk, we just said g'day and he's a couple of metres away, whatever. And then anyway, the girl pokes her head around the corner. This is like pretty much an admission. The next step is you go and get your gown on and you're ready, right? And she she goes, she called my name. Anyway, the bloke next to me, he got up because he thought she was calling him. And I said, you can go if you want to make this. You can go and get your prostate out and then I'll, I'll be right. And you know what he said to me? He goes, I've already had mine out. And I go, oh, what? And he goes, 20 years ago, mate. He goes, you look young, but take it from me. That was 20 years ago and I'm still alive. Good luck, buddy. Can you, can you believe? You know, I'm there on my own, sad, just mentally drained. Do you know how uplifting that was for me as I was about to walk in to get mine done? Yeah. I couldn't have asked for anything more. He was from the country. He said he'd driven five hours and he was getting something else checked. So we had that little discussion for like a minute and the nurse is standing there basically saying, hurry up. And hang on, I'm talking to this bloke. And I, I, I messaged Sharon straight away and I said, I've just had the best conversation with this guy that pretty much just reassured me that you have prostate cancer, you can still live for another 20, 30 years. And I I couldn't have asked for a, a better scenario to happen as I'm about to go and get mine taken out, not knowing what to expect. Yeah. That was your sign, though, don't you think? I feel like this, the universe gives us little signs that it's yeah. whether or not we take the time to digest them sometimes. 
Of course, because, you know, if he didn't mishear that girl that calling me, we wouldn't have spoke other than, g'day, mate, how you going? Yeah. But it was that get up and my sort of banter and my initial sort of Aussie reaction is, yeah, you can go, mate, no worries, because I really don't want to go. Yeah. And that's what it led to. And, again, I, I couldn't have asked for something more reassuring than that from someone that had been there and done it 20 years ago. And, he, 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 you know, he was older now, but I think he said he was 47 or something. Because we, we, we exchanged all this information within a minute or a minute and a half. Let me tell you, it was like this and it was just a great discussion. That's young, 47. Yeah, 100% is, but it's not young. When, when, you, when you pull back the sheets, people don't talk about it, Zoe. Someone very close to me had it, and I didn't even know. Now, we drifted apart, right, over the years, but it doesn't matter. I didn't know, and majority of his family didn't know. He confided in his mum, and that's it. His dad doesn't know. His brother doesn't know. So he's not on his own as far as that reluctance to talk about for a whole range of reasons. Some people just don't like talking. This is because it's a, it's to do with a, a, a bloke's anatomy pretty much they don't want to talk about it no I, I yeah I guess everyone's journey is different and we've got to respect what they want to do but I feel like I have so much more respect for you as a man for talking about it for being open for sharing about it. because you know you, you compared it a little bit to birth how you left your dignity at the door like we you know, I feel like women talk a lot about their feelings and, you know, prolapse vaginas and nipple thrush and all this bush, the stuff that you talk about once you have kids, you just talk about everything, yeah. right? You leave it all on the table. And I think for men, it's so, it should be that way too, you know? Well, lay on the bed and let me just see how that catheter's going and hold on, I'll hold your balls here and just hang on there, do this. And then when they, you know, lay there and I'll get pull the catheter out, pull down your pants and just hang on, I'll just let me hold this here and do this. Like the physio, you know, let me just lift up your balls and I'll put the bloody um, ultrasound to see how your pelvic floor is going. I'm thinking, oh, I could just curl up and die now. Like, you know, I just, yeah. oh, my God. But it's – It's the journey, right? Well, well the, the alternative is don't do it and you're dead. Yeah. So that's just fact. That's another question is after you had it all removed, do you have to have radiation or any? Um, I don't at this point because yeah. what they wait for is if they had have detected any hint of spread beyond the um, the, the, the organ I, via, from the pathology after it or the PET scan, then, yes, yeah. I would have. Right. Even if they felt that there was, you know, a little bit in the lymph, whatever, but... At this point, no. So I, I'm actually lucky, even though it was super aggressive. Um, and it's just watch and see. And I hope I never, ever have to. Yeah. Um, but no, I, I, I was lucky. And does that mean now that your boys will be testing earlier? Is it genetic? Is it... If you have one person in your family, you're yeah. twice as likely to get it. You've got two people in your family, you're five times more likely. And guess what? I bumped into a second cousin of mine in Gold Coast when I was up there and on mum's side of the family, so his dad, right? So my mum and and this guy, um, his dad were cousins, mum and dad, like my mum and him were cousins. Yeah. Their whole family's got it. There's been like five of them. So the genetically, that's where it's come from. I don't know anyone in dad's family that's had it. So there yeah. you go. It's in it's clearly in the, the riddle side of our family. And now my boys will have to be super, super, you know, 
cautious. We're wary and cautious about it, yeah. But it's good that they've got you, sh- you know, shouting from the rooftop about it so they do know to be mindful. 100%. Absolutely. Absolutely. Wow. Um, so just to end, I feel like I've been chewing off your ear for an hour. I've loved talking to you. But Well, I sit here and talk to Elvis on the wall here. I don't have my dog anymore. You know, my little beautiful dog, Hannah's beautiful dog, you know, three weeks ago Monday or four weeks ago Monday it was, you know, he would follow me around the house with from isolation. He'd be sitting on my lap now on the couch and he'd be laying next to me in bed every night. I, I miss my little mate. He's not here to, to do that anymore. So I, it is a lonely time, let me tell you. You've gone through so much, I feel like, you know, in such a short period of time on your own. Sharon, I I said to Sharon the other day because she was in Queensland. When she originally moved up there last year, uh, she actually moved up there last year and people go, oh, have you separated, have you separated? No, no, we're just starting a transition, right? Mm -hmm. And then we had reasons why I was kept here, you know, with my job and and then mum and all this. But I said, you know, we've, in the last 12 months, we've had... 24 weeks apart. It's crazy. It's crazy. So what we're living in. Well, she she's been she was coming back and forth. She was going to come back and forth this time, and she said, "I feel really guilty because we've got an apartment up there that we're renting that Hannah's in with Sharon as well." And then and, and she said, "I feel real guilt really guilty that you're on your own." And and I said, "Sharon, it is hard. However, what is the point of having both of us miserable in the house sitting on the couch?" It's just, there's just there's just no point in that at all. There's just it makes no sense. All we'd end up doing is yelling and screaming and arguing anyway, out of pure stress and frustration. So as hard as it is, and you know, people people say, well, God Almighty, like shit, you're on your own, blah blah. No. Yeah. I've told her to stay there. It's yeah. just it would it would be stupid. So you know, good. Are you are you working? Yeah, I've got a I've got a really really amazing boss um that has supported me to no end as far as all this is concerned and it's a cyber it's an online cyber security company that um that i work for I've, only, I've been there since feb last year so it's almost 18 months and in that time i've been in the office probably 10 times because it was just before covid started um so he's been incredible you know absolutely incredible and i, I owe him so much as far as that's concerned so i've just started to transition back into work in the last three or four weeks where Mm -hmm. i'm um i'm sort of feeling able to mentally physically because i was tired i would sleep two and three times a day it was just exhausting and i'm taking some stuff now from my acupuncturist which is all about and it's natural remedy shit so i don't even talk to my gp about it because they don't believe in it you know all this but i can tell you now the minute i started taking it i started to feel better in myself and i don't care if it's psychological or not you know your body better than anyone and it's just actually given me a bit of a new lease of life the last four weeks i've been on four weeks that makes me so happy i feel like even if it is psychological whatever if it's making you feel better yeah you're doing good you know your body better than anyone, right? I won, I, I struggle with some dizziness. Don't ask me why because they say it's not to do with the cancer and all this sort of stuff. But, again, I know my body better than anyone and and that's almost dissipated. I had it yesterday again just just a little bit. So, again, I, I like I don't know why, whatever. But um, so, you know, I'm still dealing with a lot of shit, um, as big or small as it is, but that's just – it's recovery. You're recovering. I just have, that's right. It's recovery. That's exactly it. It's recovery. It's recovery. 
And you got to go at your own pace because it's like, like you said, there's no textbook. You know, that's a, I couldn't have said that better, to be honest. That's exactly it. Everyone's different as far as the whole, every aspect of recovery, uh, you know, the men bits, but also just the, 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 the physical bits, the mental bits and all that sort of shit. And again, I'm only four, and I had my call with my surgeon last Thursday, but he said, you're only four months after the operation. So he said, just be mindful that that is still early for a massive surgery that you've had. Life. So it, it's a perspective thing. It's a, it's a bit of a, again, it's a, not a wake-up call, but it's just a bit of reassurance and, and a reminder that just, just, just remember that. Yeah, 100%. And I guess one of the final questions I want to ask you is what's next for you? I know you're moving up to the Gold Coast when you can and, like, what will you do with work and, like, what's next for you? Yeah, I will um, – I'll, I'll be able to work remotely, which we've just COVID the whole thing has actually allowed, and um, so that's fine. That that I can transition up to there. Uh, so, you know, I, I, I sort of I'm, I'm, I manage a new product pretty much. It's called Celeb Protect. It's pretty much about online impersonation, fake accounts. So the big market's America, and that was the plan. I was going to be spending, you know, three or four months a year in America just getting it up and running and clearly Australians and, and, and the like, we tip, the, the, our market tends to follow what the, the Yanks are doing. We've got some celebs already using it in America. You know, we had um, Corey, Corey Feldman, we've got Crystal Hefner on, we've got James Maslow, just signed Jerry yeah. McCool, who's a model. Um, so my focus and commitment is about getting this product entrenched into this market and the US market as, hard, as best I can remotely. It's a bit harder, but... So that that's my sort of focus, um, sort of short term to to repay the faith that my boss has shown in me, and you know then it's just about living my life. To be honest, you know I I, I just I, I want to I've had some bucket list items that I've wanted to do, and I can tell you now I'm fucking doing them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> COVID makes a couple of them hard, but not impossible. And and that's my that's my focus. And to get everyone settled, happy, healthy, um, get Sharon up there, uh, like entrenched in something. We'll buy a house at some point. Haven't sold mine here yet, but and then, you know, it's about me. I'm going to invest some time in in in, in me and and Sharon and just, you know, just watch our family grow and and just just continue to love and support them because. You're making me cry happy tears now. (laughs) Well, you know what? There's so much hate and division in this world right here and now. Um, I have no appetite for any of that sort of shit. I'm, you know, I'm not about agendas. I'm about allowing people to have opinions and big fucking difference. And I love people. Yeah. And I just want to make people happy. My family, my first priority, and then everything will flow from that. Oh, 100%. And you know what? Like, I wish you all the best. And you've just, your life just seems like you've just had such, so many chapters in your book of life. And I feel like you're embarking on the best one yet. It's just family and you seem content. I know you've got a lot of shit going on, but in your heart, I feel like you just, you you know exactly who you are and what you want. I can, my Sharon's dad, when I first met him, and I'll never forget this saying, you complain because you had no shoes till you met a man with no feet, right? And that's my life right now. I'm not going to dwell in self-pity. I've been dealt some cards. I'll deal with the cards and I'll be up and down like a bride's nighty and I'll be happy and I'll be sad and all that sort of shit. But you know what? 
Yeah. Do you know how many people there are way worse off than me? So many. You have to look at TV and, and, and follow people on, on social media and all this shit. There's kids with cancer that are dying and all that sort of shit. They're the ones that have got problems, not me. I've got nothing to complain about. I've got nothing to complain about. Your life is rich, isn't it, with all your beautiful family? I'm lucky. I feel like that's a beautiful way to end this podcast. I really appreciate you coming on. Honestly, I've just I've been in awe of you for the longest time and to sit down and chat. The respect's just gone up even more. So thank you so much. Good on you, Zoe. I've enjoyed the chat. Um, I appreciate it. What a beautiful soul he is. I cannot thank you, Mark, for sharing so openly, for being so vulnerable, for being so comfortable in who you are. And I just, yeah, I cannot thank you enough. It was such a beautiful chat and I really enjoyed myself. And we spoke for a lot longer than I thought we would. And it went to places that I really didn't think it was going to go. But out of that, I feel like I've learned so much about you, but in turn, learned so much about myself as well. So I really do appreciate that. So anyway, guys, I hope you enjoyed it. I know you would have. Um, Please leave a review, a rating if you're on Apple Podcasts. And I will be back here in your ears next Thursday. Bye, guys.